Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Jeremy Walker on a journey through church history examining the amazing subject of revival. Revival is not first the granting of life to those who are dead, but it's the stirring of life in those who once had more of it. Mm. So it's first and foremost the Church of Christ which is revived. Jeremy Walker next. British pastor Jeremy Walker explores the dynamic and sovereign work of God in his people and in nations in Revival, the Work of God. Pastor Walker is the presenter and writer for this documentary, which contains contributions from church leaders in the U.S. and the U.K. Jeremy Walker is a pastor at Maidenbower Baptist Church in Crowley, England. He spoke to us from there. Pastor Walker, why is the subject of Revival of such interest to you, and why did you want to write and produce this film? Um, well, the, the opportunity was given to me rather than pressed for by me, but I was very glad to take it, in part because I think it's a very necessary uh, topic, and, and both in terms of a negative and a positive angle. Negatively, there's a lot of confusion about revival, that the word is used, the language is bandied about, and I think often uh, misunderstood. And positively, uh, I think it's important, first of all, uh, that, that the church knows what it is, but also that we, we stir people to seek it as it really is and not as sometimes we might imagine or hope or wish it might be. Well then, what is revival? I would say that fundamentally, and this is alluded to in the subtitle, it is a sovereign work of God. Uh, our, our working definition, the working definition that I, I had in mind in, in writing it was that it is really the extraordinary intensification of God's ordinarily gracious dealings with lost mankind. So that in revival, on one level, there's nothing new. On another, everything is new. Mm. By which I mean that God does what he ordinarily does, that he uses uh, the means that he has provided to accomplish his glorious and gracious ends but that during times of what we typically call awakening or revival, that that intensifies the degree of it, the pace of it, the extent of it, the, the range of it, that there is this, this lifting up and this pressing out of those effects. And just to push back a little bit on the definition, someone might say, well, who's to say what it is? I mean, who's to say what the definitive definition of revival is? Because there, it does seem there's a bit of a, a, bit of a difference depending upon who's, who's defining it. Yeah, that's that's important because uh, what we need to do then is 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 not just to engage in an argument about who gets to define the word, but really to go back and ask, how does God work? What is God's normal pattern of operation, both with regard to, if you like, the the, the more typical plateaus, but also the, those occasional peaks. So both from scripture and from history, what are the patterns the models, the expectations that enable us to say this is what God ordinarily does and this is what God sometimes does uh, and that then is taken out of our hands 
uh, and and we get a more objective rather than a merely subjective reading. You said revival is a sovereign work of God. What 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 does that mean? By by saying that, I'm 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 making a point. Uh, I recognise that there'll be a number of people today and historically who would talk about effectively creating a revival. And this is sometimes referred to as the distinction between revival and revivalism. So in revivalism, the emphasis would be on on our timing, uh, our employment of certain tools, uh, pejoratively, you might call them the tricks of the trade, Mm -hmm. that that could be used to stir up some kind of religious fervor. Uh, And what we're talking about here is uh, this sovereign work of God, which is that while it's something we can plead for, while it's something we can look for, while it's something that we can work for by using God's means, it is not something that we can either demand nor impose nor artificially stir up. It must be, if it's going to be true revival, something that God himself bestows in accordance with his promises, uh, using his own means and instruments to accomplish his own glorious ends. So you're saying we should pray for it, we should ask God for it, and at the same time we know it will will come or not when and if he wants it to. The way you phrase that, Bill, I think is so important because sometimes you can have what's, you know, the, 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 the sort of the classic reformed revival prayer meeting where we all get together and we the, the prayers seem to assume that we're all okay in here, but out there there's this desperately dark and dodgy world and maybe just maybe sometime God will do something to sort them all out. And invariably, and this again is so important when we come to understand revival, revival is not first the granting of life to those who are dead, but it's the stirring of life in those who once had more of it. Mm. So it's first and foremost the church of Christ which is revived. And so if we're in here praying for the people out there, we're actually you know, starting at the wrong point. Not that we shouldn't pray for those who are uh, outside the kingdom that God would bring them in, but it's our own penitent desires that God would make himself known to us in ways and to degrees that, that are no longer normal to us. That's, that's where our hearts are stirred. And the effects of that then in the church of Jesus Christ are in some respects more stunning even than what happens when that revived church begins to operate as it should and the truth rolls out from people who are gripped with a sense of eternity. It's interesting, and I want to, of course, ask you uh, about specifically about the documentary revival, the work of God. Um, one of the people in the film, and I can't recall who who made this point, but they were saying that when you pray for revival, uh, the, the typically suffering comes as a part of it, the answer to that prayer. So just be aware of what you're praying for when you ask God for revival. You're also you're really actually praying for some some degree of of suffering or or possibly persecution. Can you explain that, how, how that is? Yeah, well, in, even in terms of what we've just been saying, if you, if you ask God to draw near, I mean, when, when God draws near in that distinctive way to individuals or groups in Scripture, um, their, their instinctive and proper response is not first one of, of joyful celebration. That comes, mm-hmm. but only after a profound sense of personal sinfulness and, and then repenting and believing as if it were afresh. And so when God revives his people, 
one of the first effects is a, is a purging and often a pruning. Sometimes there's a an exposure of a, a false profession of faith in people who have thought that they were Christians. Uh, other times it's it's a sense of how far we've drifted from from God and from His honor and from His glory. And then a revived church is going to be subject to particular satanic assault because now they're going to be, if if you like, in the truest sense, on the front line. And, and Satan will not sit idly by when God is stirring up his church. And so historically, scripturally, and in, in post-scriptural history, those times when God has been most powerfully at work are simultaneously the moments in which Satan has been most uh, aggressive. And, and you might even say vice versa, that it's in times of the most extreme spiritual darkness that God has been pleased to manifest this, his strong right hand and to show himself mighty in salvation. It, it, it's not yin and yang. Mm-hmm. Let's not get that. You know, yeah. that The Lord is sovereign, but uh, it, it, it typically manifests itself in, in, in battle, in struggle. And, and again, some of the, the histories of the way in which men of God and women of God have suffered in in seeking to follow after Christ under such circumstances, it's it's both stirring and and sometimes overwhelming, grievous. Well, I'm talking with Pastor Jeremy Walker. He uh, is a pastor at uh, Maiden Bower Baptist Church in Crowley, England, and we're talking about well the subject of revival, but also a film that he was the presenter and the writer for a documentary, Revival: The Work of God. Well, Pastor Walker, where do we see revival in Scripture? The language of, of reviving, of restoring, refreshing, awakening is used often throughout Scripture, sometimes individually mm-hmm. and sometimes corporately. Uh, so you'll see something of that pattern uh, in the history of Old Covenant Israel, um, where there are periods of declension, decline, drifting. And then the Lord is pleased by, by way of usually a, a prophetic voice or voices to call his people back to themselves. It can happen individually. Um, So you'll have, again, maybe a backsliding or a declining uh, child of God who who is then called back. Um, Again, sometimes it's difficult to distinguish between conversion and reviving. Mm -hmm. Uh, You you think, is is Isaiah 6, is is that passage where Isaiah sees the glory of the Lord high and lifted up, the holy, holy, holy one in the temple? And And there's a difference in the commentators. Is, is that a believer who's overcome with a fresh sense of the majesty of God? Or is that the point at which he's actually converted? Hmm. And so all the way, for example, through the Psalms, you'll find uh, both individual and corporate cries that God would revive his people, that he would restore and refresh. They're going back to the God whose people they are and asking that the Lord would lift them up. Um, uh, you you find then, uh, again, periods, even in the New Testament, of of this unusual spiritual vitality and it's it's almost uh, one one way it's described the pentecostal outpourings that while we recognize that pentecost is a once and for all redemptive historical phenomenon if Mm -hmm. we wanted to be really technical about it that nevertheless that is the abiding reality of the church of jesus christ in the new covenant and that there will be and are clearly on the pages of scripture moments periods or occasions where you have for example the language of being filled with the holy spirit and there's a this elevated sense of of god and of his truth and uh 
a manifest power in the preaching of the gospel. It's, it's that Thessalonian language that, it, that when we preached to you, it was not in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with much assurance. And, and these are the kinds of spiritual dynamics that we have in mind. So Pentecost was a revival. I think we'd want to be careful saying it was a revival in the sense that it is a step change. It is when the ascended Christ pours out his spirit mm -hmm. upon his his waiting people. It is the inauguration, if you will, of, of that new covenant reality with its distinctive relationship to, to the spirit of God as the one by whom Christ himself draws near and the father and the son take up residence with his people. And so that is the underpinning and ongoing reality of new covenant life. We're not saying that the Holy Spirit ceases or stops operating mm -hmm. when we're not enjoying those, those particular peaks. What we're saying is that that being the underlying reality uh, inaugurated at Pentecost, that there are then these times, seasons, occasions, periods when the Spirit is operating with that unusual, in our experience, intensification. So I'd be wary of saying that Pentecost is the first revival of a series because that is actually to diminish Pentecost. Mm. Mm -hmm. But the, re the, the, the spiritual realities that we see at Pentecost, those are the ones upon which the church always relies and which it occasionally enjoys in particular ways. Well, your documentary, your film, Revival, the Work of God, looks at uh, various of these peaks or revivals in church history and can you give us kind of an overview of uh, of it, first of all? And then, of course, I'd like to come back and, and ask about, at least as, as much as our time permits, uh, some of the specific ones. Yeah, so uh, Reformation Heritage Books, who, who produced the documentary, uh, when we began discussing this, um, we would have loved to do a, you know, a six-hour documentary that went absolutely global. And I think it's really important to recognize that what we've done in the film is to be necessarily selective. Mm. And and it's 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 Eurocentric, it's Americocentric yep. of necessity, mm -hmm. not because we are denying that there are other such seasons and, and occasions in other parts of the world and in addition to the ones that, that we've identified. But what we wanted to do was just, again, give a, a experimental or experiential sense of what revival might be. And to do that, both by describing how it might look in, in a church like ours, and then to, to, to go back and to, to look through history at some of these specific instances, and again, to see some of the beautiful variety, as well as the consistency of people and places and periods where God was pleased to work in this way. Where would you want to begin, or where? what is the earliest revival in church history that you focus on, at least, as you say, in terms of this uh, Eurocentric or US-centric presentation? Yeah, well, Again, as we said, we, we wanted to root it in Pentecostal realities and say that that's that's the pattern, that's the norm. Mm -hmm. um, one of the one of the first places we we wanted to begin um, was really with the Reformation, mm. uh, and to show how again this wasn't just an isolated instance, but that even before that, um, I mean, you you can go back. <laughs> I mean, again, we're, we're scooting over certain things. Yeah. But you look at the way, for example, John Chrysostom preaches. 
um, and and the, the the records of people hanging off the, the the words of this golden-tongued preacher, and you've got to say, okay, maybe we don't classically stick the revival label on that one, mm-hmm. but what else are you going to call it? Um, but what we're trying to do is to use some of those occasions and seasons where we've got a little more documentary evidence. Um, and so you're saying, now, look, you go back to someone like Wycliffe and you see the influence that he has. And then someone like Jan Hus building upon that uh, tradition of the translation of the scriptures. Um, but, but then in the, in the Reformation, you've got this great restoration of the doctrine of justification by faith as God raises up men who are going to proclaim that truth in the face of what seems to have been a, a largely dark and gloomy spiritual oppression over much of Europe and, and further afield, uh, especially through the Roman Catholic uh, communion, and, and, and to say, look, what, what is that? It's, it's not one of those, hey, we had this little event, and it's not one of those, oh, this happened for a week, and it's not even, this man was used in this way. You've got this glorious season mm. where God seems to raise up a whole tribe of men with all their varying graces and gifts, and he uses them really to shake off uh, what they themselves sometimes refer to as the Babylonian captivity of the church. So you've got this this enlivening, this awakening, this great stirring, and in some respects, that great recovery of scriptural truth there in the, the 15th into the 16th century. That's one of the, the bedrock movements that we would go back to. And just kind of parenthetically, as we begin to talk about some of the others, what are are signs of a true revival? I mean, is there some some test we can put to it to see whether or not yeah, it's, we, it's true? We we deal a little bit with this in the documentary um, because there are spurious revivals um, and there are man-made uh, seasons of religious fervor. Mm-hmm. But we identify such things as you know the powerful preaching of the Word of God. That's the primary instrument under the Spirit of God. Uh, you would then be looking at things like a manifest sense of the presence of God, which would secure a, a profound sense of genuine sinfulness and lead to evangelical repenting, gospel repentance, real penitence. Um, there would be uh, an, a, an eager desire for true godliness, a pursuit of holiness in the fear of the Lord. Um, there would be then a purifying of the church uh, there would be a, a stirring of the saints to uh, to worship God, not necessarily with new forms, but with fresh zeal in spirit and truth. And then you'd expect to see the the flowing out of this in in the conversion and and again the uh, the the bringing of people out of darkness into light again with those fruits. Powerful sense of of sin in the in the in the eyes of God, uh, a genuine penitence, uh, a lively faith. Uh, a, a profound joy in salvation, uh, a renewed zeal in serving the Lord, and a desire that others would come to know the same blessings which you yourself know. So those would be the kinds of things that would characterize genuine revival. Would you look for anything in the surrounding culture? I, I, I mean, in terms of, um, I don't know, a drop in crime rates or... Yeah, this this would be more a consequence of revival. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, you, you might see a great deal of antagonism back to that whole principle of persecution, that that actually it, it may be that you get a real sense that battle is being joined. Um, and what's wonderful then sometimes is you see the very people who think that, they, that they're out to destroy the work of God, they themselves become 
captives of grace. Um, but if if you see, first of all, then this revived congregation and they're having a, a an impact, first of all, you see in salvation, it's not merely a social mm-hmm. impact. This is what happens when lots of people all get saved at about the same time in a in a very localized environment. And so there's some some lovely stories, for example, of uh, places where all the pubs end up shutting uh, because people aren't getting drunk anymore. Um, so, yes, you would expect to see things like divorce rates dropping. You would hope to see a profound, a profound social impact. You know, there, there are places where the, you know, the judges would turn up in the courtroom and they'd be out again five minutes later because the people who are normally being hauled up in front of them have been saved and their lives have been transformed. Now, what I think is wonderful about this is that this is not the result of Christians campaigning for social change. It's the consequence of this spiritual reality that is gripping multiple lives in a short space of time with a profound vigor. And that's really where true Christianity has its impact on society when people get converted because the gospel is preached with power. You focus a lot in in the documentary, Pastor Walker, uh, the documentary Revival, the Work of God, on the Puritans, sometimes considered the children or the grandchildren of the Reformers, and that the rise of the Puritans itself is a sign of revival, is a sign of one of those peaks of, of God's working uh, in, in his yeah, church. Yeah, you... and again, you've got these various strands that weave through it. Uh, again, uh, at that time, you've got this sort of moribund or, or sort of fairly dead Anglicanism there in, in the United Kingdom, uh, especially in in, uh, in England, or Anglicanism, you know, that's where it's rooted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got effectively revived men who are beginning to say, we, we want reformation. And reformation is a fruit of, of, of a revived heart. Um, and, and you've got that, that strand runs through varying... Uh, denominations, as we might call them, it, it happens amongst the Presbyterians. It happens among the Congregationalists, uh, among the particular Baptists of the 17th century. If you go to the sort of 1640s, I think you had about you know, about 10 congregations, and 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 these people get gripped by God. It's not so much that they grip God; God grips them. And over the space of decades, they they go from a handful of congregations, and they're sending out men to evangelize in the darkest places. Uh, the churches are, are spiritually lively places. And by the end of that century, there are scores of new planted churches because happy, healthy, holy, vigorous saints are acting like God's people. What you find is that very often the this awakening, this stirring is sometimes occasioned by a, a recovery of the truths of the last people who got gripped by God's grace in the same sort of way. So, for example, if you come into the uh, the the 18th century, uh, and again, uh, I'm thinking of of men like Whitfield, for example, mm-hmm. and then amongst the Baptists, you've got the the missionary wave uh, that that Carey, in part, was at the core of, and and these are men. They are rediscovering what everyone else has forgotten, and God is opening their eyes to behold these glorious things, and so in measure, they're building on what went before, and they're looking back. And they're not trying just to replicate it artificially, but they're seeing the truth the way it was seen before, and it is gripping them. So if you go up to Scotland, for example, there's a, there's a whole a whole sequence of, of works of God where there's an almost, say, self-conscious. They refer back 
to to almost the same things in a stream. And you can sort of say, so, you know, group A, God blesses them. Group B, remember how God remembers how God blesses group A. And they pray that God will do the same thing again. Then group C say, Lord, that's how you dealt with group B. And they remembered group A. And really, you've got this almost, and it, it's it's not, it's not artificial. Mm-hmm. There's a sense of an inheritance that gets passed down and an and, and appetite that God would do for us what he's done in the past. Uh, and that carries us all the way back to those great revival pleas, for example, in the book of the Psalms. Lord, stir us up. You know, revive your work. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, there's a glorious continuity in this. Well, Pastor Walker, uh, our time is going very quickly, but I better ask you about uh, revival in the United States. Haven't touched too much upon that. And uh, Jonathan uh, Edwards and the first yeah. Great Awakening. Uh, some may have heard of that, others maybe not. But t- tell us about that. The, the Great Awakening, the first Great Awakening in 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 the states. Again, if if you just look at the numbers that are quoted, you think, yeah, that's that's pretty good. When you think of what those numbers mean in terms of proportion of population at the time, you're talking about towns and whole regions that are transformed by the powerful work of the Spirit of God. And, and Edwards is, is remarkable because he is typically considered the great theologian of revival, because both in terms of his own experience and then his wife's experience, she's, she's a marvel in her own right, <laughs> and then the... The blessings that he saw in terms of ministry, both in his own congregation and in other places where he and men like him preached. So Edwards, with this penetrating mind of his, this this God-given analytical ability, a man soaked in the scriptures, he's assessing, analyzing, uh, recording um, and giving us what what is still a wonderful understanding of what revival is, if you will, from the inside out. So he's not talking about it as a theory. Mm-hmm. He's he's assessing it as someone who has enjoyed those things. And and actually one of the good things about Edwards is he's he's very very careful to distinguish uh between uh a, an empty work of 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 man's devising if you will and the genuine operations what he uh, the religious affections is one of his great texts. He says what what does that actually mean when the spirit of God is at work in a sinner? to bring them to Christ and then to keep them near Christ, what are these truly religious affections? What, what does that truly mean? And under Edward's ministry, uh, and remember, you know, again, he's, he's a practitioner in the best sense. The, the theory is, isn't a theory. It's, it's a record that comes later. But he himself is, is really preaching and teaching simple scriptural truth. But there's a there's a lovely prayer uh, that's recorded of Edwards. He said, "Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs," and and he preaches then like a man who sees heaven and hell before him, and God is pleased to use that very powerfully, both in Edwards' own life and immediate ministerial sphere, and then in in a number of other places. Perhaps most famously in a sermon he preached, "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God," in a place called Enfield. Well, Pastor Walker, if people would like to view Revival, the Work of God, how can they watch it? As I say, Reformation <clears throat> Heritage Books, uh, they are the, the people who've uh, very kindly uh, been putting that out. It's available, I, I, as I remember, it's available on DVD, um, but it's also available for streaming. Mm-hmm. So if they go to revival.movie, 
that's the website revival.movie you can see the trailer you can purchase you know whatever packet uh, package you, you want um and also there you can see all the bonus content because we were involved in a particular conference in the uk at about the same time so uh, some of those conference sessions on revival and some of the extended interviews i mean you're talking about hours and hours of footage um so we try to boil boil down the best for the documentary itself, but also make some of the added extras available. So it's revival.movie, or you can get in touch with Reformation Heritage Books Direct via their website, uh, and you should be able to find all the details you need there. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, British pastor Jeremy Walker, presenter and writer of the new documentary, Revival, The Work of God. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Rory Shiner using the ancient Apostles' Creed to introduce us to the basics of Christianity. But to say that he is the Father Almighty, that that's his name, that that brings you much more specifically to the Christian account of God, um, who is the, the Father of Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord. That's tomorrow at the same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.